0: Within the first few chapters of uh, Ezra and uh, the the compendium that is Ezra and Nehemiah, which we're camping out in for a few uh, weeks here, we see the people of God uh, led by a a passionate few, a deeply convicted few, uh, finding their way back out of exile to Jerusalem to discover that their temple has been destroyed. They probably already know that, but uh, the the masses are realizing it. And they've been given permission, which is shocking, by the pagan king of Persia at the time uh, to rebuild their temple. They've got permission to do it. It's devastated, and they're going to do it. And within the integrity of their history, when they look back through their history, they realize that they have to do more than construct a building, that they're out of shape with the God patterns of their life, the centrality of God in their life. And so they know that they've got to do more than just rebuild a building. So they, they institute uh, and reestablish the, the reading of the law, the, the reading of scripture to remind us of the truth of God. Um, history tells them that they should um, uh, gather together and, and worship him and glorify him. And they know it's good for themselves personally and corporately and even for their society. So they build a place for God to meet them, and they reinstitute the re- the public reading and the gathering uh, together around Scripture. The first thing they do. The first thing they do, upon return from exile, is to reestablish worship. I-, I am so thankful for the heart of worship that's in our worship pastor. From the day she showed up here, she has. Uh, pressed us and pulled us and longed for us through prayer and song uh, and, and even the production and the programming to help us be a more worshipful uh, congregation. I'm so thankful for her and what we did. The first thing we did when we returned from exile is to reestablish uh, worship. Eventually, Uh, the people of God, were faced with the reality that the places of God and the practices of God aren't enough. You would think it would be to have a place and a practice, but they they discovered quite emphatically, actually, that irrespective of their new temple, their recommitment to Scripture and a reconstituted uh, practice of worship, that their lives don't reflect godliness, (laughs) grossly so in some cases. They find rather quickly that even with nice spaces and good practices, the darkness that has been their extended generations-long context has infiltrated their minds, it's twisted their passions, and it's evidenced and it becomes evidence in their behaviors and in their relationships, at times even in the temple. We read in Ezra 9 and Nehemiah 13 that they start taking on the practices of their neighboring tribes. They're desecrating the Sabbath uh, by implication, the temple. They're, they're selling stuff in the temple. And y'all, y'all know, Jesus, Jesus spoke about this when, when, when he eventually came. Same sort of stuff. It's a cyclical pattern in history of the people of God reinstituting worship and then gravitating away from God in the midst of their worship. Jesus eventually confirms this character flaw, if you will, with great urgency, that those things alone, bases and places and practices and readings, can leave you entirely ungodly. That while appearing close to God, you can be very far from God. That's what he said, among other admonitions. um, Jesus, I mean, Isaiah, he says, was right when he prophesied about your, about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There is a profoundly important element of worship, required, absolutely necessary for our worship to be delightful to God, for him to even receive it. And that thing, that element, can be utterly absent in what would seem to be good worship. And it's simply this, a heart of worship. It's ironic, tragically ironic, and shockingly common for a worshiper to express thanks to God and God isn't there in a manner of speaking. Better to say that their heart isn't there in the presence of God. You might say this is precisely why and maybe at the root of why our interest wanes and even the best forms of worship. It, it explains a little bit about why you or I might gravitate away from a worship space. Because your heart detects the absence of God and those that are worshiping. Might not even be able to put your finger on it. Too many of us have been in those situations where we have worshiped for years if not decades together with a group of people and the Spirit of God has not become, has has been lost as a priority. Wonder what is going on. It can happen. It happens probably to every church in different ways. But the other reason that we drift away from worship is, and more likely the issue, is it's our own heart is not there. And again, we might not be able to put our finger on it. But if we don't have a heart of worship, and we find ourselves in a worship space, contributing and participating in worship practices, and our heart is not there, it's very, very hard for the human human psychology, psyche, physiology to be hypocritical. And so we drift away. True worship evaporates in the most amazing of worship places when the practices of God or the people of God lack integrity. What makes worship ungodly, if you will, is not a lack of buildings, it's not the style of worship, it's not the structures and the practices that are in the greatest need of renovation usually, but us, our hearts. Passions other than those that are directed toward God. Attitudes other than those that are directed toward God. Ambitions that are other than God-oriented, desires, fears, um, end up reflecting the separation rather than the nearness to God. Are you with me? Our hearts, their hearts, were the important thing and have always been the important thing. It's what God looks at. It's what Jesus was concerned about. Not the trappings, not the places. In many cases, not the practices. Are they good? Is it good to have a place? Yeah, it is. Is it good to have practices and routines and disciplines and obediences? You betcha. But they are empty without the heart of worship being there. We're going to spend the next six weeks all the way through what is often referred to as Lent, or the 40 days of preparation leading up to Easter to consider the three critical calls of God on humanity. And we've captured these three things with our core value statement. Um, these are from God. We didn't make these up ourselves. It's just what God said to do. It's, but it's why we say that we're a movement of worshipful, relational, missional people living at the intersection of Jesus in real life. Because God has always compelled his people to love him, to love others, and to go and make disciples. We have those two great commandments and the great commission that guide us as a church. And the first and the foremost is, rightly so, worship. We're going to go through these, not necessarily in order, in fact. I'll do a little bit more on worship next week. And then um, thrilled to have uh, Natalie Fancher. God's got some things on her heart, um, and she's going to share on the 29th. I'm super excited about that. Um, The word of God is alive and well in her, and the Spirit's put a word in her heart. So who are we to get in the way? So excited about that, her first time. Um, How apropos to be leaning into these things as we establish and reestablish who we are and where we are, these rhythms of God. So we're going to look at uh, briefly here this morning, a little bit on worship and more next week. So established. Establishing and reestablishing worship is a familiar and recurring thing throughout Scripture. Cain and Abel did it. Abraham did it. You see it done throughout the Exodus movements, Elijah and Mount Carmel, and we saw there in Ezra. Uh, the prophets are always calling the people back to God, their hearts back to God. Um, and we see Jesus exposing. Uh, like I said, the religious establishment for their insincerity, their hypocrisy um, and re- reaffirms without a true heart for God and a true heart for the things of God. Um, we are, in fact, are not worshiping. But in revelation, uh, we see that the last book of the Bible, we see sort of the cosmic future of worship, so it 's been happening all through history, reestablishing. Uh, And then we see this uh, this ultimate future in uh, Revelation chapter 7. This is John um, in a, a vision given to him by God. He says, after he's seen a lot of things. And then after this, he says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. you you can see the end result of all that God has created is for all of creation to turn back to him and worship him at the center of the whole thing. We even see the celestial beings and angels involved with worshiping. And when angels appear on earth throughout the scriptures, they're always worshiping. Like Pastor Tammy was saying, they're always saying, hallelujah, glory to God in the highest. They're, they're, They're in a constant state of worship within uh, the spaces where even the the, the the angels show up as 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 though as a sort of a uh, an indication of what's going on all the time in all of creation whether we're doing it or not the good news is that we've been created humans have been created you can see this in the early stages of genesis in the image of god and being being created in the image of god it's easily understood that we are to worship him. It's our ultimate end of humanity. The goal, the aim. Years and years ago, it's been decades now. Piper captured this so well, John Piper. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. We... (laughs) It's a big part of it. Listen, worship is. Listen, and this is the line. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We're on mission as a church to involve and include and bring about and do our part to bring all of creation back into alignment and worship with God. He goes on. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. True worship is a divine, interpersonal, cosmic, and transformational venture, and you and I were built for it, built for it. Now, we have to talk, which we will more next week, about why our worship deteriorates, how our hearts tend to turn away from God. It's shocking that we do it. But we do. We turn to the wrong things. We take good things of life and elevate them to the thing. We're going to talk about those things because we need to see Because what happens oftentimes we drift away from God and we don't even realize it. So the more we understand how we work and what we go toward and why, maybe the quicker we can turn ourselves back. It's coming. Today, I just want to encourage you with one particular truth. I've said it time and again that you are built to worship God and that worship is the place of your greatest peace, your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment, and your greatest strength. You were built for it. Did you all see that incident with um, DeMar Hamlin, the Bills, Bengals, football game? Even if you're not a football fan, I suspect you have some understanding of what happened there. Here's what blew me away. Here's what encouraged me more deeply than I remember being encouraged in a long time how naturally everybody just prayed. You know, there was a Supreme Court uh, uh, case just not too long ago about a high school coach who used to gather voluntarily in 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 a football field and pray with some kids. That got elevated to the Supreme Court. There was so much weight, so much interest, so much resistance to that, that it went to the Supreme Court. And then on national television, in front of millions and millions of people, a coach just led not only his team, but the other team to pray right on the field. And if that wasn't encouraging enough, the reaction of the entire stadium. Blew my mind, particularly when they said that the game was going to be delayed for five or ten minutes. You remember what they did? Nothing. There was no booing. No one was overreacting. And I started realizing again what I've known to be true for months, if not years. We're listening too much to the fringe in this world, to those that want to be sensational and negative. The masses are not there. The masses are pretty normal. And what we saw, what I saw on that screen, I watched it over and over again, was a mass of people that when faced with something beyond their control, hugged each other, when 1 minute ago they were trying to knock each other's heads off they came together and they just prayed i don't know if anybody said we should pray it just seemed like they all started praying and then when they said the game is canceled do you remember how the crowd reacted <laughs> just left again there is something within the human Life that when it all comes crashing down is actually very comfortable to go to our knees and say, Oh God. If that wasn't enough, watching TV the next day, a reporter, sports reporter, Olsavsky did you see this guy on ESPN watch this I couldn't help but bring this and show this to you
1: this is a little bit different I heard I've heard it all day like thoughts and prayers and you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say like all we can do is pray for him and I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that like, we believe in prayer and maybe this is not the right thing to do but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it him. is the Hamlin, right right now um I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're we're sad. We're angry. um, And we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer we lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name, amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully.
0: (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? And look at the reaction of the co-hosts. She says, beautiful. And he goes, respect. Like, yeah, we get it. People get it. You were built for it. We were built for that. It's not weird. It's not awkward. It's natural. There's a lot of bad reasons that we don't do it that we don't worship, that we don't pray, that we drift away, that we do without. There's a lot of stuff, but then it is, isn't it encouraging to see the natural impulse of humanity to bow? Here's Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Bills, a day or two later. I've never been struck like that before from a play, from an experience, from an emotion. It's never hit me that way before. And look, I'll be the first to admit, I haven't been the most devoted Christ follower in my life and I've had my different beliefs and thoughts and ideas and stuff like that, but something got hold of me there and it was extremely powerful that I couldn't deny. That's a good press conference right there. I gotta be honest, I was watching, somebody sent me that clip and before he started praying I was like, oh no, no, some Christian is gonna pray on television and he's gonna make us all look just so stupid. Oh please God. And I couldn't believe how simple, how clear, how honest, genuine, humble—he just did it. I was talking to Tim. Tim, are you here? Is Tim Isol here today? I see Tim. Y'all know Tim and Cindy. Cindy's brother-in-law, Cindy's sister's husband, is the chaplain of the Buffalo Bills. His name's Len. Tim's been in touch with him ever since that happened. We, we, we're watching him on TV. And I'm trying to think about his life right now. Thank God for Olsavsky. Uh, you know, he didn't to start just praying on TV one day. Like, you know, he's having an effect before then. And so is Len. You know, if you ever been part of a sports team and has a chaplain, it's a tough go. The rough go, like maybe seven or eight people that come to the prayer meeting, you know, normally or something like that, or the Bible study or whatever. I don't know what kind of involvement they have there, but it's usually pretty small. For God to be pouring His heart out for years and years and years into a team and a group of men and women, and then suddenly see that He would probably never bring any kind of credit back to Himself, but me standing on the outside, understand? The impact of the remnant that is scattered throughout the world. And then for a moment like that to come, I've got to believe that He plowed the ground for it. It was just so encouraging to see the impulse of a mass of people to worship, to pray. Now, I, don't, I don't know the nature of Josh Allen's relationship with God. I don't know if he knows Jesus. I don't know who some of those people were praying to. I don't know. I'm not commenting on that. I'm just saying, look at what happened and be encouraged and remember what that is. Is, is, there, a, is, there, is there a better indication that we are made in the image of God than something like that happening that no one instructed Our worship almost always deteriorates. It just happens. I don't know what it is. It gets stale, it gets routine. We drift away. But there's an inclination within us to restore it. Jonathan Gibson said: worship is the right, fitting, and delightful response of moral beings, angelic and human, to God. One of my favorite visions is Isaiah's vision in chapter 6. The, 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 the nation is suffering because they have lost their king. And Isaiah is suffering and fearful because they've lost their king. I'm paraphrasing dramatically. Look at Isaiah 6. And he looks up and he sees God, the king. And he's like, well, wait, I haven't lost my king. My king is as good as ever. And then what does he do? When you see God, when you move into his presence, soul becomes aware, he bows down. Who am I to be in your presence? We are made by God to worship God. And when we least expect it, maybe is the greatest indication that it's real and that he's real. So, we should always be seeking to reestablish our worship and make sure, not that it's the right style or in the right place or the right levels or the right sound or the right lights, but at the right place in our corporate heart and in our individual hearts. Because it's who we are. Let me, let me just kind of wrap this up with this here. Let me say this. Don't wait for tragedy before you worship. Don't wait for buildings and music styles before you worship. Don't wait for others to invite you before you worship. Don't wait until you're better before God, before you worship. That's the good news, the best news that Jesus brought. He takes that hit. He ushers us. Jesus ushers us into the throne of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has done. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, because there is no way to worship God any other way. I had a theology professor ask this question of a class one time. If given the option to walk into a cage with God or one with a hungry Bengal tiger, which do you choose? Go with the tiger if you don't have Jesus. don't go walking and sauntering into the presence of a holy God when you aren't. (laughs) That does not go well. Biologically, physiologically, down to the cellular level. (laughs) Pick the bangle, tiger. Don't wait till you're better. You're never going to be good enough to walk into the presence of God. But Jesus is perfectly good enough, and he invites you to go with him. Alistair Begg tells a wonderful story on Easter of, the, of Jesus on the cross with the two robbers on either side of him and what, what it must have been like for whoever's waiting at the door, as most metaphors and jokes go, at the, at the door of heaven for the one guy that Jesus said would see him in heaven. And they say, why are you here? And he's got nothing. He's not been baptized. He's not memorized any scripture. He doesn't know anything. His only response is, the guy on the middle cross said I could come. That's true for all of us. That's the only reason we can go into the present. Don't wait until you're better. Just follow Jesus into that space. Don't wait until you feel like worshiping before you worship. Worship is a bowing down that is both compelled and cultivated. It's compelled and compelled to cultivate. It is something that is within us, but it is something that we can do as well that also shapes our heart. So don't wait. It's good and right for Pastor Tammy to ask you to raise your hands, to lead us, to tell our minds, don't be shy, soul. Don't be slow, Hands. We're not waiting. We are compelled, but we also know that we cultivate it. It is within you to worship, but it is also upon you to worship. An orientation toward God is within you, but you've also been given the freedom to reject or return to him. And let me encourage you today to choose in spirit and mind and body to bow and to worship your God. I wanted to reiterate a little piece of the promise that I made you last week before I close here because it, it, it relates. Um, I'll send, I'm gonna send this out. A lot of people have asked for this. I didn't realize it was gonna hit the mark uh, so much, but th- this is my promise to you. Uh, it's got a lot of preamble that I'm skipping today, but um, I'm promising you and I have promised you and our staff promises to advance your God orientation, your others concern, your mission-driven ways. Promise to facilitate you becoming more and more worshipful and relational and missional. And I promise to do that in three ways. Number one, I'm gonna value you, which is very easy because I do, but it's important that you know you're appreciated. Um, I'm just keeping in line with God's inexhaustible love for you as best I can. Secondly, to equip and entrust you to create clear discipleship pathways. And here's the one I wanted to highlight this morning, a healthy rhythm of different things uh, for you, that you don't feel spread so thin uh, by your own church, that we're focused, that we, that we meet on Sundays, that we, we meet in small groups. And we, we do this third Thursday thing, which I want to keep pressing on. Every third Thursday of the month, we want to gather together and we want to pour into you. And one of those things, one, of, one thing, we'll do three of the nine or 10 times that we do, will be just worship. Well, not just, but mostly worship. Uh, Pastor Tammy's been having these pursue nights for years. Um, but I'd like to invite you all to be a part of this third Thursday, of which we will do some extended worship together. Uh, I promise to make you as productive as we can as missionaries, personally and corporately, and I always promise to lead you to the gospel's edge, Uh, the places uh, that we can reach more uh, in biblically grounded and culturally effective ways. That's my promise, to value you, to equip you, and to lead you. That first one is the 19th. Please, please come. Uh, We're going to talk about all of them this week. It's kind of a launch. So as the calendar turns to a new year, as we turn over new leaves in our lives, as we succeed and fail when suffering or when healing, as we start new ventures and seasons and places as a church, let us not forsake him in the midst of it all. Let us not be completely caught up in our own aspirations. Let us not forsake, as Jeremiah encouraged us, the spring of living water. Let us each make the centrality and the glory of God, the desire of our heart, the obedience of our minds, and the evidence of our whole lives. Amen? Let's do that.